Welcome to Interesting Times. I'm Joe Streckert. Before I start today's episode proper, I want to ask three favors of you guys. First, we have a Patreon campaign. Go to interestingtimespodcast.com, click on Support IT on Patreon, and send us a monthly donation to keep the podcast going. That'd be awesome. Also, rate and review us on iTunes. A rating and a review can help other people discover the show, helps us with our ranking. That would also be great. And tell your friends about the podcast if you like it. If you know people who would enjoy a kind of dorky history podcast, say, Hey, person I know who likes this kind of thing, there's a dorky history podcast that you can listen to. That would also be great. Thanks. Today's topic is one that's pretty close to my heart. It's one that I've read up about quite a bit, that I've talked about quite a bit, and studied up on far too much for the past couple of years of my life. One of the major gigs that I have, and I have several, my life is weird, is giving history tours of my hometown, Portland, Oregon. And when people think about Portland, they think of, you know, bicycles, beer, light rail, urban planning, that kind of thing. And when people think about Portland history, they think about shanghai which Portland was fairly notorious for, but it wasn't just a Portland thing. In the 1800s, plenty of men who didn't want to be sailors got turned into sailors. And even though shanghai was practiced all over the U.S. and in Britain, the American West Coast is now particularly associated with the practice. Now, I'm going to just say this up front, that there's a whole lot of mythology and hype and pseudo-history and the rest of it associated with the practice. I will get to that. But first, I want to talk about how it actually worked. I want to talk about how a great deal of men got hoodwinked into an exploitative industry, the maritime industry, that even by the standards of the 1800s treated its workers fairly poorly. Picture a crew of sailors on a ship where, for months, they've been bored, they've been worked hard, they've had to deal with the elements, they've had to deal with the ship's command and discipline, like, you know, beating you discipline. They've had to deal with the interminable time of the voyage, and it's made them agitated and kind of eager to get on land. As they're pulling into a port city, a rowboat approaches their ship. A man boards. He starts introducing himself to the crew. Maybe he hands out cigars or other small luxuries. He tells the men that if they're looking for a place in town, they can stay at his boarding house. They're a place that caters to sailors, and they have good food, they've got booze, they've got companionship, and don't worry, they can start a tab there that they'll pay later. Any debt that they incur can be drawn against future wages that they might earn. And they've got good connections. They can hook them up with, you know, a nicer ship. One with shorter voyages and less beatings. Imagine that. Alternatively, imagine a guy coming into Portland or San Francisco or Tacoma or any other major West Coast port. He's got nothing. He's got no money, no job, but he has to stay somewhere. He especially has to stay somewhere because at that time, many major American cities had policies specifically against vagrancy. Just bedding down in the street could get you arrested. Our hypothetical wanderer can check into one of those boarding houses, a place where he can eat, drink, 
sleep, maybe get some new clothes, haircut, again, maybe companionship, whatever, and it's all drawn against future wages he might earn. And in the case of the sailors on the vessel being drawn into this boarding house, or in the case of our hypothetical guy just wandering about with nothing and checking into this boarding house, you can probably see why this is not the best deal. Eventually, the guys, whoever they are, staying at the boarding house, where they've been accumulating debt, they're told to ship out, that their stay is over. And when that call came, they were assigned a ship, and they soon found themselves working off the debt that they had incurred in port. And working off that debt was, very often, not easy to do. And more often than not, it was completely impossible. This process of going into debt, becoming an indentured servant, and being kicked onto a ship was known as getting crimped. And the guys who oversaw this business, the boarding house operators, and also their runners and recruiters and the like, were known as crimps. It was a process called crimping. It had absolutely nothing to do with giving yourself 80s Cindy Lauper hair, unfortunately. But these sailor boarding houses, these crimp houses, they were not in the hospitality business. It might look like they were in the hospitality business, but they didn't actually make their money really from selling rooms and food and drink. The boarding houses were more in the business of creating an indebted population who would be forced to take up employment with one of the most labor-intensive and socially marginalized professions out there, shipping. Crimp houses were in the business of creating legal and financial circumstances under which men had to work on boats whether they liked it or not. So the product, it's not the rooms, it's not the beer, it's not the food. The product is indebted men. And if you were a captain who wanted a crew, in many cities you had to go through the crimps. The crimps did everything that they could to control the labor pool, to say to captains and shipping companies that if you want hires, you got to go through us. So a captain couldn't just post on Craigslist and hire some sailors at market value. Instead, you had to go through a shady cartel that controlled the supply of labor to your industry and give those guys a cut. So crimps, they're one part unscrupulous loan sharks who take advantage of a transient laboring population, but they're also a third party who controls the supply of labor to a very large industry. And instead of labor and money moving freely in the shipping industry in the latter half of the 1800s, it was controlled by hucksters and charlatans who were bent on manipulating the flow of labor and profiting from other guys' indebtedness rather than producing anything themselves. This is a far cry from a nice Adam Smithian world where labor and money and agreements and everything move freely. It's not like that at all. So what I find interesting about this issue is that if you are a person who's interested in social justice, if you don't want people to get exploited, then this is something that you should be mad about. But also, if you're somebody who likes free markets, if you're somebody who actually wants labor and money to move around, and you want things to be as efficient as possible, this is also something that should make you angry, because the crimps are not allowing for... because the crimps have a stranglehold on the labor market. 
They're not allowing that to move around. So really, this is a bad situation from various different angles, which I find fairly interesting. And obviously, I have an opinion about this. And a good deal of that extends from how Shanghaiing was practiced extensively in my hometown of Portland, Oregon. And it's something that I yell at tourists about. Talking about crimping has just become a normal part of my daily life at this point. A good deal of myths, legends, and folklore has also sprung up about the practice of crimping, or Shanghaiing, as it's also known, regarding guys having their drinks drugged, men falling through trap doors and into dungeons where they awaited their doom, things like that. Lots of very, very colorful stories, and when people are in Portland talking to me, asking about Shanghaiing, they say, Oh, I saw this thing on the History Channel, and it was all about how there are trapdoors and bars, and men would fall down into dungeons, into these little oubliettes, and they would be down there awaiting their doom. I'm sorry to say that most of the myths and legends that surround Shanghai are just that. They are myths and legends. We have no real good historical information to suggest that Portland or any other city had a vast torture dungeon underneath its floorboards and streets that was used to steal dudes. Trap doors and drugged drinks are not something that I think happened. Or even if they did happen, they were the exception vastly more often than they were to rule. So there's lots of colorful stories, but I am afraid it is pseudo-history. But the real history of Shanghai is, I think, far more sinister than drugs in your drinks or trapdoors and bars. It was a system wherein people who had money, influence, and power in their local community, these guys who owned crimp houses, boarding houses, they took advantage of an unmoneyed, transient, laboring population. I don't find Shanghai deplorable because of folktales like trapdoors or drugged drinks. That's not why it's frightening for me. What's more frightening than any of those little tricks and traps is an entire system of labor and finance that locks in human beings to a system where they can't escape. You can't really talk about crimping without talking about desertion. Desertion of ships was something that was hardwired into the crimping process. If you were working on a farm in the late 1800s, for example, and you hated your job, you had to deal with a smelly oxen, the farmer was a jerk, couldn't stand it, you could say, Hey, jerk farmer, I am done with this job. I am going to walk away. Give me my pay, and I quit. And the farmer would pay you, and then you would leave. At least, theoretically. That's how it's supposed to work. You were allowed to quit other jobs. You were not really allowed to quit being a sailor. If you were a sailor and you quit your job, that was desertion. You got nothing. You did not get a final paycheck. Also, that was completely illegal, and you could be jailed. So, unlike other industries, you weren't able to say, Hey, I quit. Bye. However, remember that guy going up to the ship in a rowboat, glad-handing the various sailors, giving them the cigars, etc.? When crimps sent runners like that up to ships, they were hoping that guys would desert, hoping that guys would just get into the robot with the guy or jump ship and leave their ship early. There were two reasons for that. Once you deserted, you got nothing. So the shipping company gets to keep your wages. Good for them. So once you're in port 
and you don't need nearly as many guys to make the ship go, having a few guys desert and just keeping their wages? Well, hey, that's gravy. Two, a lot of captains knew that they needed to deal with the crimps, and the crimps, they're out there trying to get new guys in their boarding houses. As a captain, you might not want people to desert all the time, but if they're deserting to go into a crimp house, they're still in the system, and they're going to an agent that you know will later on be essential for you finding new labor. Does that make sense? So desertion, it's not something that you're able to do, technically, on paper. But if you're deserting and you're going into a crimp house, it's something where a lot of captains and other officers are going to look the other way. So in-port desertion happened all the time, and when guys deserted, they would just go right into a crimp house. This is a quote from a British consul in Portland in the late 1800s who said, quote, The well-known disposition of the sailor on arrival in port after months of repression and discomfort is to run into excess, a much to be deplored but by no means unnatural propensity, and sympathy is wasted on the larger proportion of men who desert as by their practice of leaving at every port and reshipping with an advance, they forfeit practically nothing. Unquote. So what this British consul is saying is, he's being uncharitable in his description, but he's saying, these guys, they are antsy, they are exhausted, of course they want to get off the boat and get drunk, and their pay is so low that they're forfeiting practically nothing by deserting. However, if you wanted to desert and actually leave your ship and really quit the maritime industry, that was not so easy. Doing maritime labor was not something that one could just back out of. For example, in the 1890s, four sailors deserted a bark called the Arago in Astoria, Oregon, which had come up from the California coast. The men, it seems, had no intention of reinserting themselves into the maritime labor pool, and they were eventually arrested. They claimed that the 13th Amendment, the amendment which banned slavery and involuntary servitude without due process, protected them from being forced to work. They claimed, reasonably I think, that they had a right to quit their jobs. Almost any other laborer in the United States could, if they really wanted, tell their employer to shove it and walk away. Not sailors, though. In the 1897 case of Robertson versus Baldwin, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that sailors were something of an exception to the normal ways in which employment and work contracts functioned, and that they, unlike farmers or lumberjacks or blacksmiths or millwrights or anyone else, didn't have the right to quit their jobs. But of course, sailors did quit all the time. Despite what this 1897 Supreme Court ruling, they did desert and check into boarding houses on a regular basis, but that kind of desertion, where you went directly into a sailor's boarding house, was actually part of the whole practice. If you tried to quit for real, that wasn't okay. But if one of the crimp house runners in a rowboat got you to leave your ship and check into a boarding house where you were going to rack up a whole bunch of debt, you were still in the system. You were still somebody who was in the overall maritime labor pool. You were going to sign a new contract. You were going to go into more debt. You were going to work on another ship. And captains were wise to that. They weren't supposed to look the other way, but they did. That annoyed a lot of people. 
This is a quote from an 1898 Portland Chamber of Commerce handbill, a kind of political statement that would have been plastered all over the city back in the days before the internet or radio or anything else. And it was talking about how the sailors really weren't deserting. They were, you know, lured away by crimps. Quote, Instead of deserting, all these seamen, with few exceptions, were enticed, decoyed, or, by threats and intimidations, forced from their vessels by a syndicate of crimps, and this too often with the knowledge and consent, and even the connivance, of captains and owners, who adopt these dishonorable means of voiding contracts, usually made for three years, and thus profit by the forfeiture of the entire wage of the seamen. Unquote. And again, the shipping companies, they get to keep these guys' wages, and also, they know that the crimps are controlling the labor pool, so, if they want to be able to hire people, they got to work with what's a sh essentially a shady cartel that takes advantage of people. Throughout the end of the 1800s, various legislation attempted to end the practice. Uh, the 1884 Dingley Act prohibited sailors from receiving advanced wages in the U.S., but a later amendment ended up basically declawing the Dingley Act, and the practice of crimping, of shanghaiing, continued after that. Crimping really met its end in the 19-teens. The 1915 Seamen's Act introduced a whole host of reforms to the shipping industry, such as ending imprisonment for desertion and the establishment of a minimum wage for sailors. You know, basic stuff, like not going to jail if you quit your job and, and being guaranteed a basic amount of money for your work. And when I've read up on this, several commentators and historians have also mentioned the role of steam in the end of crimping. By about the 1890s, we had steamships in common usage that weren't just river boats, they were able to cross entire oceans. And after around 1910, windjammers really weren't in use all that much anymore. They still existed, but steamships were more and more the rule. And steamships needed a far, far smaller labor pool to get from point A to point B. And because of the legislation, like with the 1915 Siemens Act, and because of the decreased demand for labor in the 19-teens, crimping and shanghaiing really sort of fell away. When I think about crimping and shanghaiing in Portland, or San Francisco, or Tacoma, or elsewhere on the West Coast, I sometimes get a little prickly when people associate it with things like trapdoors, dungeons, tunnels, etc., Again, there's no historical evidence for any of that. The actual system used laws and money to exploit people. And it did it just as well as any system of traps and drugs and force would. And thankfully, nothing like that ever happens anymore. Right? There are related links for all of our shows at interestingtimespodcast.com. For today's show, I have linked to a number of books that I've read up on about Shanghai that go into far more detail than just this podcast, which is under 30 minutes. Uh, also, we're on social media. We're on Facebook, facebook.com slash interesting times with Joe Streckert. I tweet at Joe Streckert. I am on Tumblr, joestreckert.tumblr.com. I am not that good at naming my Twitter accounts or my Tumblrs. And again, we're on iTunes. Give us a rating. Give us a review. Do donate to our Patreon campaign. We are also on Stitcher. Tell your friends about the podcast. And, and on Sunday, March 15th, 
I am going to be doing a live event at a historic Clinton Street Theater. We are doing a screening of one of the greatest comedies ever made, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, and I will be there before the show starts, giving a short talk on actual real Arthurian history and literature. So come see me nerd out on Jeffrey of Monmouth, and then take in one of the greatest comedies ever made. And if you want to shout at the screen and quote things, uh, don't. Don't do that. That would make you a terrible human being, and it would disrupt a show. But yeah, Sunday, March 15th, Clinton Street Theater, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Hope to see you there. Bye, folks.